1: we're back to neil haley's show here on the author's corner segment i'm excited to welcome the program author anita sylvie author of unforgotten the wildlife of diane fossey and her relentless quest to save mountain gorillas how are you anita thanks for stopping by how are you
2: oh very good i'm glad to talk about the book and diane fossey
1: yes well First of all, I think of Jane Goodall always when I think about gorillas, and there was someone okay. else as well. So that's the first question I'm asking right off the bat is an intrigued person, never heard of Diane Fossey, being full disclosure, but definitely heard of Jane Goodall, and they were pretty much hand-in-hand in a lot of ways, right?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I I actually started. I I wrote a book about Jane Goodall first for children because it's an obvious, you know, research scientist to write about. But she and Diane Fossey um, worked around in the same time, and Diane Fossey, in fact, came to work in Jane Goodall's camp in in Tanzania um, to learn methods and ways to do research. Jane was working with chimpanzees; that was her specialty. And Diane wanted to go to Rwanda, basically, to study mountain gorillas there. So a lot of the things that Jane kind of pioneered, such as naming the animals with names rather than giving them scientific numbers, you know, how she kept research charts, all of those things she passed on to Diane Fossey. So she helped make Diane's research um a lot easier um diane jane and the third of the what they called the trimates the the proteges of lewis leakey um uh, brut galdikas in fact got together on occasion um both in his home in london and then they got together when um for uh, lecture tours in the united states there was a period of time where all three of them traveled together and, and jane talked about chimpanzees about orangutans and Diane about gorillas so I'm sorry I missed those lectures they must have been a great deal of fun but so she and Jane are you know know each other work side by side they have a lot of um, a lot of you know interaction between them and um, you know there it was good to be I was able to do a, a book on all three of the women and I really learned a lot about the others as I as I worked on each book.
1: No, absolutely. I think that that's the uh, part of it is just learning f- from them. And what made you write and write these books? What 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 what's the reason? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I I am very intrigued. Um, to write for children about, let's put it this way, they say authors always write the same book, and we think we don't, but, it, you know, we, we are drawn to similar subject matter, even when you write nonfiction, as I do. And I am always intrigued by somebody who basically finds a cause greater than themselves and really gives it everything they have. They have no cynicism, they hold nothing back, you know, they they really give all of their life and energy to this thing that they think that is so important. And I think that they're such good um, role models for children because they really show children that you can find something that you love and do it and really feel great about that for years and years. I mean, Jane Goodall is still engaged. She's in her 80s and she still travels around the world all the time engaged and fighting for animal conservation and, and the rights of animals. And, you know, she's had the same cause really all her life. So I love figures like that because I think that just by nature, um, they're very attractive and they're particularly attractive at a period of time, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, what, that's the age I write for, where children are trying to figure out maybe what they want to do with their lives. You know, what are, what are the options for my life? And I think figures like this give them, you know, something to, to strive for and something to think about.
1: No, I absolutely agree with that. And what what, what, what surprise are going to surprise people about the book, especially if they know who Diane Fossey is?
2: Well, I think that anyone, I mean, you know, I know what surprised me. I, you know, the the typical author thing, I thought I knew things about Diane Fossey until I actually started to research her. You know, that's, it's a trap we all fall into. Right. We think we actually know something, then we find out we have to do, you know, a year of research because we have no idea what we're going into. But I was, um, the thing that, one of the things that surprised me about her was she, you know, she's living in in, in, a, in the mountainous areas of, of Rwanda. She's miles and miles away, and, and most of it by foot, um, from any kind of medical care. And I would have assumed that she was just really a healthy specimen and, you know, just never got sick and, you know, could right. endure anything. The reality is is that she was very sick. She had pneumonia several times. She broke legs, she broke ankles, had to have her appendix out, she was bitten by something they were afraid was a rabid dog, you know, and she had to get into medical care. Um, she was beset by so many problems and yet she still stayed and she still worked and she worked through the pain. And that really surprised me because I I would not have I would not have predicted that. I mean, Jane Goodall was famous for Virtually never getting sick. You know, she just, she has an iron constitution and she almost never missed a day. But Diane was the opposite. She was really quite human, much more like me, much more prone to aches and pains, but nothing stopped her really from what she was going to do.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's true. Nothing stopped her. And that's, and she had the love for gorillas because what do you feel the, you know, we all know what Jane feels about gorillas, but what, why did Diane want to put her whole life dedication to this?
2: Well, she was 32 when she saw her first mountain gorilla and she had paid for the trip of a lifetime. She was a occupational therapist in Louisville, Kentucky, and she had always wanted to go to Africa and to see animals because she loved animals. And so she paid for seven weeks safari with really good tour guides And, you know, saw all those magnificent animals and the lions and the giraffes and, you know, the fall. I mean, just the things that one saw on an African safari in those days. And her last trip was up into the mountains to see, for the first time, the mountain gorilla. And, you know, the only thing I can ever really liken it to are the stories of somebody say, you know, I saw someone across the crowded room, locked eyes with them. And I knew they were the one, you know, that you just, the person you fall instantly in love with. And in, in Diane's case, the, the animal she fell instantly in love with was the mountain gorilla. And she, she felt like they were her family. They were her kin and so she went back to louisville thinking i've got to find a way to work with them and she did a lot of writing about them she did local newspaper articles things of that nature and then a really a small miracle happened louis leakey um who had sent jane goodall to you know to study chimpanzees came to give a lecture in louisville and he talked about jane and the work she was doing and you know what she had found And Diane stood in line at the end and pressed newspaper articles into his hands and said, I want to study mountain gorillas. And he didn't say, you're crazy and thank you. He said, let's have breakfast. You know, he said, let's have breakfast. Let's talk about that. They did. Um, He decided she was just the kind of researcher he he loved. You know, she was gutsy. She was independent, strong-willed, just very much like Jane. And... So he said, Give me six months and I'll find um I'll find the funding for you, um, to go do that and oh, wow. um she turned her life upside down and she learned Swahili and read books and um and six months later she flew through Washington D C to stop at the National Geographic Offices because that's where he'd found the funding and then on her way to Africa to be set up in her first research station so she's going to be there for 18 years. She's going to have um 18 years of study with these animals that she completely loves. We get the real sense from all that she writes about them. You know, she wrote a wonderful book called Gorillas in the Mist and we get a wonderful sense that she really thought of these animals as her family. You know, yeah. they were so, they were her kids, they were right. her cousins, they were her aunts and uncles. I mean, she completely um She loves them and feels loved by them in return um, in an extraordinary way
1: And she's and even though you the the title of the books unforgotten She is forgotten in certain ways and that's why you've written the book also right compared to yes mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to keep her contribution, you know alive because she made such a magnificent contribution Um, the good she dies much younger than, you know, um, Bertha de Galdeca or Jane. And, but the good thing about she had trained so many graduate students. She had sent people, um, and so many of them stayed in that area. And so, and she inspired so many people. Sir David Attenborough did a Life on Earth segment with her in which he's invited into a gorilla family, and you see him lying, and a group of gorillas, and just being so happy to be accepted by them. So, she had brought a lot of people into the cause. Um, you know, most recently, by the way, Ellen DeGeneres, who who does do an introduction um, to this book, because Ellen is funding um, the Diane Fossey Foundation, um, giving a lot of money to it, oh, because wow. they continue they continue her efforts um, in that part of the world. So fortunately, she was no longer by herself in defense of these animals. And and those who she inspired have carried on the work. And, you know, when she started, there were 275 mountain gorillas in that area. It's pretty close to extinction numbers. And today, over 600, and it grows every year. So, so many of the practices that she set up um, really helped. They absolutely saved these gorillas. I mean, Jane, there's a quote from Jane Goodall in the book, and she said, there is no question it was Diane who saved the mountain gorillas. And so it, now that is work that others carry on in her name.
1: And that's tremendous. And that's the story that you want to tell, as Ellen wants to tell, is for people not to forget the great work she's done and to let her legacy live on forever. That's for sure. Yeah. Very powerful. And uh, what, what do you think was the the most like aha moment of writing this book, saying to yourself, you know what? This is really special. What I've done writing this book in general, compared to other books I've written.
2: I think, well, for me, you know, I mean, I'm writing biography because, you know, I, I'm, I'm competent to write biography. I've lived a few years, and you know, I've read a lot of children's biographies. But, of course, I'm not a scientist. So for me, so much of what I discover in these books is the science, what she discovered about the gorillas. So I have aha moments when I suddenly see I ask myself the question, well, how does a gorilla spend its day? You know, like, I don't have a clue, by the way. I mean, I have nothing, (laughs) initially nothing, nothing comes to mind when I ask myself this question. And then I go to research the question, and I find this wonderful, I find wonderful passages about how gorillas get up early in the morning and they, you know, they, they eat 75 pounds of of vegetation a day. That's a lot of vegetation. And, um, you know, they go searching for it and then they stop and take naps together as a family. And the fathers play with their the young gorillas and they tickle them and they wrestle with them and the gorillas bounce on the big male stomachs. You know, this is like a peaceful family. It, they look like it's it's a family picnic is what it looks exactly, like when you yeah. see the mm-hmm. photos of this, you know, and then they, they take a nap and then they go out and they hunt for more vegetation. Cause you've got to eat a lot of vegetation until they go to sleep at night. And so it's, it's moments like that where I'm just in the world She's, You know, I've gotten to know who gorillas are. I think I know some of these people, too, like Peanuts, you know, who's the first gorilla who ever held her hand. Oh, okay. um, I've gotten to know some oh. of the characters. And it's moments like that that I'm just so happy writing because it's just wonderful to write about, you know, individual animal personalities. I mean, we have a whole, at the back of the book, we have a whole photo gallery, Um and you get to find out a lot about um, individual gorillas and gorillas are fabulous because no the way you can tell them apart is by their nose print like no two gorillas have the same nose print so once i find something like that out i'm like a kid going through all the photos and seeing if i can identify which gorilla is which you know because of the nose print so i guess it's those moments that just make writing wonderful i'm writing about a subject like this
1: fantastic Uh best place we can purchase the book is go where
2: um it will be in bookstores but also you can go to the net geo um website if you want to and it will be available online everywhere
1: we appreciate you coming by uh to really tell this story in so many ways and also the work that she's done with gorillas and to let let her live that legacy for as long as ever especially for the people understanding gorillas and understanding who they truly are so i appreciate you coming by
2: Okay, thank you so much for focusing your program on
1: them. All right, take care. Thanks, Thanks. again. Okay, bye-bye. You're, bye-bye. You'll listen to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment.
0: Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through
2: sweepstakes. Free to download,
0: free to play.
1: Yeah, baby! What are you waiting for?
0: Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more.
2: Download Celebrity Slots today!
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. I'm excited to welcome to the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Hall, how are you? Thank you for your service. What's going on, man?
3: Oh, wow. Just, um, you know, uh, taking care of patients and, and just really excited how, you know, the, the infections are, are going down with COVID. And uh, people are, again, are getting out at the beach. And so it uh, looks like things are opening back up. So very excited.
1: Yeah, so what are your thoughts on this? So, so everything now, I guess, is back to normal. Do you expect that back to normal be for good? Are we are we out of this, meaning at least to the point where we won't have any more lockdowns?
3: You know what? That's a great question. And the answer to that, um, it's hard to say. Now, will we have any more lockdowns? No, I certainly think throughout the summer, no. Um, as we approach the fall and winter, again, you have the whole seasonal things with viruses, just like the flu virus. Again, we could see an uh, increase, again, in, in corona infections. Again, the the vaccines, we don't exactly know how long uh, those will be effective. And really, at this time, um, what can we really say about the vaccines? I mean, there's some published studies that say uh, that the vaccines uh, reduce your chance of getting the corona infection less than two percent um all of them you know each one of them uh, 1.5 to 2. and so a lot of what we're seeing uh is probably uh i don't believe it's herd immunity but i think a lot of what we're seeing is kind of just the the change in the weather with these types of viral infections like the flu uh during this time the flu infection uh go away with climate kind of change and so this is probably what's happening uh predominantly with the uh coronavirus but either way um, You know, uh, everyone's uh, happy that things are opening up, so that's
2: great.
1: So, do you think? Do you so do you think we're gonna ever have to go down lockdown again, or you think we're gonna be back to a, our normal?
3: I truly believe that we probably will never have to go to lockdown again, and I and I, and I certainly believe that if you know. Um, uh, you know, we don't have uh, mutations, you know, you don't have uh, huge mutations uh, in the uh, strands that we're aware of. No huge mutations, then I think we'll be fine. Um, But uh, I think what happened again was the initial response to the uh, coronavirus when uh, we were first exposed here in the United States, that initial response again was slowed by, you know, what came out of China. And so that's why we're taken off guard. But, um, Either way, um, it's just it's just great that as a nation we work together uh, to bring ourselves where we are now. So, um, just uh, very excited about that.
1: You know that that's that's the thing your you, 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 your your uh, thought process. So that's great news. Now, in the ER, are there still COVID cases coming?
3: Definitely, we definitely see chronic cases, um, but you know. Not as uh, again, obviously not like in the beginning where we had people who were expiring right there uh, uh, in the uh, in front of the uh, the nurses desk in the emergency. Uh, Sometimes wouldn't even make it to the uh, the rooms there. So now we are seeing people who come in and um, who are positive, uh, but again, it doesn't appear to be uh, as bad. So that's that's exciting.
1: No, it's, it definitely seems like that. That's good. So, and I guess you're able to prescribe different medications if they do get COVID now. Are you able to do what we talked about when we talked to Doctor Simone Gold and stuff like that in your ER or not? That's not still not allowed.
3: Yeah, that's a great, um, uh, excellent question. And so, what we're seeing is that this vaccine actually across the country. Um, We are seeing now that uh, doctors are are starting to embrace uh, prescribing those medications that were um, not considered uh, initially to be so effective, medications like hydrochloroquine and ivermectin. And so uh, there are a lot of studies coming out now, particularly with ivermectin, uh, that how effective uh, this medicine is towards the coronavirus. And so we're starting to see um, the medical community embrace these drugs again not as fast as i would like to see uh, but we are starting to see some progress
1: seeing interesting and but it's still not it's not everywhere yet and it all depends so the symptoms are happening are you seeing anyone that's gotten the vaccine that's come back with covid
3: now that's a very 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 good question <laughs> because we talk a lot about the vaccine, but we never really talk about, um, are there any, uh, patients having, uh, problems with the vaccine? And the fact is this, uh, the actual, uh, you know, the government, uh, actually keeps track of all of the adverse, uh, effects from the vaccine. Okay. And what we see nationally, if you look actually at the government side is, Reported in the thousands, okay, um, where we've had adverse reactions and again, deaths. And um, when I say the thousands, I mean uh, 4,000, you know, deaths and 12,000 or so actually injuries, you know, from vaccine, whether that's swelling, whether that's erythema, whether that's itching, those might be considered injury. And and so um, we are having uh, a significant amount of adverse effects you know with this uh vaccine compared to you know the traditional ones you know that we've had in the past and i've had all my traditional vaccines and i'm certainly not a person who is a anti-vaccine doctor i believe in the vaccines in general very strongly that they do prevent infection um i think that just this vaccine is a little bit different in the way obviously um the body reacts to it and how it uh, helps us still take immunity to this virus it's different than what we've seen in the past and so
1: Interesting. Uh, we're yeah. still learning about
3: it yes sir
1: wow and so what about any people that have tested positive that have had the vaccine has that happened in your ER
3: yes that's a very good question so what if you begin and again the government keeps track of this I just looked at this yesterday if you look at the actual government site that keeps track of all the vaccines it's reported to uh, a central agency there what you would see is that, um, of the people so far who had the vaccine, okay. Uh, the, uh, three different vaccines are out there. Uh, United States of the people who had those, there have been 10,000 patients who have tested positive, uh, for the coronavirus, even after they have taken the vaccine that should have prevented them from getting the infection. And so, um and that's not super surprising because again that occurs with the flu. I mean you can have a flu vaccine, but you can still uh uh you know have get infected with the flu. And so that's kind of what that says. Hey, you can get the vaccine for COVID uh, nineteen infection, however, that doesn't prevent you from getting COVID. Uh and so that's what people need to weigh. Uh you can still get infected and then again, um uh, this information that I think patients
1: need to know. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I think so. And the thing is that the vaccine, when you get the vaccine, if I'm correct on this, and you do get COVID, the effects are far less, the side effects, far less, correct?
3: Exactly. And logically, that would make sense. Not side that effects, meaning
1: less symptoms of the vax- of of COVID, if you do contract it.
3: Exactly. I know, I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Um, viral symptoms um should be less uh and that would logically make sense because if you have antibodies to uh the spike protein of the virus, then that should stop, you know, uh, the virus from uh, crossing into the cells and causing infection. Uh, and so yeah, it, it it certainly does that is what the data is showing. But again, um so far as preventing you from getting infections, I don't think it does a, a great
1: job of that. Wow. Okay. All right. So um, I think, in, in just it all just depends on the specifics. Uh, I'm just hoping nothing. You study a lot of interesting stuff, Doctor Hall. And then the what happened in India? Why did the sec this next variant? Because again, you're not going to take it to the extreme level that some doctors would that are anti that really believe uh, certain things about COVID that. Not the traditional doctor looks at. But you still look at the research. As you remember, uh, you were doing interviews before COVID became COVID, meaning when it was in China. What are your thoughts of the variant in India? Will this come and affect the United States at all, or you don't think so?
3: Well, I will tell you this. I do believe that variants from any part of the world certainly can affect citizens you know in the united states and um and so my answer to that would be yeah there are going to be some people who are going to be affected by the variants that that that, that's occurring in india and um the question is what should they what how should we focus our treatment should we say hey we have we're vaccinated now and so we can uh kind of travel and go where we want of course not Again, I still think the most effective treatment for this viral infection, okay, is going to be medications that have been proven to work, like ivermectin, yes, okay, and hydrochloroquine with early treatment. And um, again, I think that's what we're finding. And there are a number of doctors around the world. Again, we talked about this. I think uh, the ones who were uh, who have been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, those doctors who who were courageous enough and who have went out there. Uh, and use those medications uh, and treat patients. Um, that's a significant um, uh, avenue that that's, that's kind of showing the world: well, hey, we can use those medicines and treat for this deadly virus.
1: Definitely, and and that that's so true. I mean, I, I agree with you. Um, that we need to look at other options, and we don't know if this variant the vaccine works against this variant. And we know only 50% of the country is vaccinated. So my opinion on this Dr. Hall of having everyone go back to normal crowds, normal stuff is concern is truly, I am concerned about this uh, because I think that we're by going back to normal and going to events, going to movie theaters, no masks, nothing when only a Fifty percent of the country vaccinated, especially with the new variant coming, I think is just just too premature. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being uh, just too concerned about this, that this is not over yet. And I'm hoping you say I'm just wrong and it is over. And even though only 50 percent of the country is vaccinated, we're not going to have to worry about this in the levels that we did before. And that this is just something that people are going to contract. They're going to deal with it. We're going to treat it, we know what it's about, and move on.
3: Yeah, you know, and I wish I could say that, but again, you know, with my understanding of cell biology and biomedical science, uh, I certainly cannot say that. Now, i tell you what I can say. I can certainly say that no matter what the variant is, there are studies that will support that the treatment of those variants in India, okay, can be treated by drugs like ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. Um, i confident, confident in saying that uh, almost any variant from that coronavirus uh, will likely uh, can likely be treated with ivermectin. Uh, I can't say that with a, uh, with 100 with, uh, you know um, uh, confidence about vaccines, though.
1: Okay. All right, you've really uh, informed me in some certain things, Doctor Hall. I'm very uh, excited that i always have you on the program Uh, a lot of big things coming especially if we're going to be opening up maybe we'll physically finally meet each other if we open up that that's got we got to make that happen where we are together uh somewhere in between or i come to alabama to see you especially when i have another client dr mark hayden also in alabama i think i got to make a trip out to alabama i got to put that on the, the the bucket list especially if we're seeing the uh, this is finally going back to normal. Big crowds, big events, time for Doctor Hall to shine, speaking in front of people. Time for Neil to shine, speaking in front of people, not just being in an office, talking far away. So we can connect with you. Best place uh, is Facebook. Different things like that. Doctor Hall writes is your website. Uh, your book is available. Tell everyone about the book so they can go purchase the book. Where can they go? Right. So if they want to
3: purchase the book. Water court that details my life um, from four years old at foster homes and boys' homes and juvenile hall up to age 18. When I go off to college, you go to Amazon, and um, if you just type my name in, Christopher L. MD, is probably the first thing that will come up. But let me make one last quick point before we go. And that point is the shows that we did early on, in regards to coronavirus, where we talked about the possible origins of this virus, again, coming from that Wuhan lab, that's something we stated a long time ago where we talked about the viral spreads, infections, uh, and treatment. Um, This show, uh, getting that information out, was very instrumental uh, in the team and myself uh, being uh, nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. And so uh, dissemination of information that's effective and life-saving, it's very important. And that's what we do on this show. So... Uh, I really appreciate all your efforts, Dale.
1: And We're going to continue that, and it's exciting times coming. But it's amazing, Doctor Hall, that I would say to you now, after the experiences I've had in the last uh, three to four months, that I'm ready to go on circuit and talk with, do speaking engagements with you. We could do, we could do some great conversations about your experience and how you've used the medium of podcasting to be able to and radio to be able to get known even further and really get your message out as a doctor so we'll definitely have to make that happen start doing some speaking engagements together put that in our bucket list so we can start traveling together and all that again uh, thanks again for stopping by dr christopher hall's show guys take care and we'll talk soon we're back to neil haley's show here on the author's corner segment i'm excited to welcome the program. Uh, Jenny Elder Moke, author of The Curse Curse of the Spectre Queen. How are you, Jenny? Thanks for calling.
0: I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk about your journey as an author. How did that start?
0: Well, I've always loved reading and I always wrote little snippets of stories, but I never thought that I could achieve an entire book, Uh, but I was always really drawn to the industry. So I actually worked at an independent publisher in Austin, Texas, right after I graduated from college. And that really let me see the business side of things, what it took to usher a book out into the world. And after a few years of doing that, I thought, you know, I really want to try this from the author's side. I really want to see if I can make a story happen. And so I switched to the writing side of it and, you know, fast forward like eight years, 10 years. And uh, then I had my first, my debut book was out last year. And then now I've got Curse of the Sector Queen.
1: So what did you learn working for that publishing company that helped you get ready to launch your own books?
0: What I really learned from working at the independent publisher was that it really is a business. And right, you really need to be able to separate out the writing aspect of it, that creativity, that love, that heart. And you really had to kind of be able to let it go. You know, it's kind of when you send your kid off into college, out into the world, you don't really want, you don't need to know everything. And so I think learning that it really was a business and it wasn't personal and you will have readers who love it and then you'll have people who it's not their thing. And that's, that's okay. And so I think seeing that aspect of it without it being you know, without it being my own book first was really helpful.
1: Well, it definitely seems like it for sure. And then you went through it and then it was a grind. It wasn't just overnight, it happened, right?
0: Oh gosh, no, yeah. I I had been seriously pursuing publication for about eight years before I sold my, my debut novel. So not overnight. <laughs>
1: Wow. That's so then you were not not definitely that the overnight success. You put the work and effort into it. So how did you come up with, so this is a series then, is that correct?
0: Yes, that's correct. Curse of the Spectre Queen is the first book in this new series.
1: Okay. So your book, your initial book was not about that then? The first one. You
0: no. So my first book was called Hood and it was about the daughter of Robin Hood. And then Curse of the Spectre Queen is an action adventure series. So Think Indiana Jones, the Mummy, National treasure that vein. And it's about an aspiring archaeologist, Samantha Knox, who is trying to find a missing relic before it can fall into the hands of a mysterious cult who is hell on using that relic to bring about the end of the world. So, big, big, high stakes action adventure story.
1: So, what gave you the character's name first of all? What did you come up? How did you come you up? You
0: know, yeah. I don't know. I think I always like characters whose names you can kind of shorten. So her name is Samantha, but in the book, everyone calls her Sam. And so I think that that's just Samantha Knox to me, once I landed on that name, just sounded like somebody who would go out and make things happen.
1: (laughs) So are you an Indiana Jones fan if you came up with kind of that storyline a little bit with the archaeology and... The adventure.
0: Oh, absolutely! I mean, I grew up loving, just absolutely loving Indiana Jones, National Treasure. The Mummy is my favorite film of all time. I I watch it like once a month. It's oh, so wow, okay. that, seeing that movie as a kid was so inspirational for me because you know I love Indiana Jones and I love those archaeological action adventure stories. But you don't really ever get to see those stories with a, a, a female lead. Sender. Exactly. So I yeah. And that had a female lead. I was like, I didn't even know we could do that.
1: <laughs> so, is archaeology something you like, enjoy?
0: I do. I really love learning about little pockets of history that don't get talked about a lot. And so, in these archaeological stories, they're, they're usually focused on egyptian mythology or Greek mythology these these sort of like pantheons that we're all familiar with but curse of the specter queen is centered around celtic mythology particularly irish celtic mythology and it was just super fascinating to learn all about history every all of the historical aspects of curse of the specter queen because it's set in the roaring 20s and it, half of it set in america and half of it set in dublin ireland all of the historical details are as true and as factual as I could make them, and that was a big draw for me. Was I wanted to take this high level, epic action story, but I wanted to ground it in the real world in real historical details.
1: Exactly, and that's great because then you're you're connecting both the history and the the story in one, and so that exactly.
0: People- Right. I like to call it, oops, you learned something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so how do you think for the mind of your reader? That's hard, okay? When you're writing for some a different audience than maybe your mind, how do you create that? Because that's tough.
0: Well, I think that I'm writing for the kids who are like me, and even and even the adults like me now. I'm writing for the people who love adventure, who love those mysteries, who love puzzles, who love pieces of history, sort of buried little Easter eggs throughout. And really I'm always, my characters are always searching for their place in the world. And I think that's what everybody searches for. What is, what's my purpose in life? What's my place in the world? And my characters are always seeking that out. And so I hope that that resonates with readers regardless of, of what story they come to, I really hope that they connect with my character because we're all just trying to figure out why are we here and what are we supposed to do with our time while we're
1: exactly. here? Exactly. That's, that's important. But you see the, the, the mindset of why. So that kids continue to grow. They learn certain things. They believe they can be anything that they want to be and have adventures so that they don't have to be the quintessential like typecast person that only could be an archaeologist has to be specific. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Saying they too can do it, correct?
0: Yeah. And I think that what I really love about Samantha Knox in this story is that she's really smart. She's clever. She's curious. She's determined, but she really doesn't know who she is when the story starts out. She's working in a bookshop in a, in a rural town in Illinois, and she's got dreams, but she's kind of afraid of them. You know, the 1920s was not a super welcoming time for, for women in professional fields. And so I think um, we get to not only see her go on this epic journey, but we get to see her grow from somebody who's scared of the world to somebody who is ready to say, hey, I belong here and I have a place and I'm going to fight for it. And so I think that kids getting to see that journey i hope that that resonates with them as well that everybody has a place and they deserve to be here in the world
1: okay so awesome so the best place uh people can connect with you and purchase your book and learn more about you where can they go
0: absolutely they can go to jenny elder moke m-o-k-e dot com and they can find by links for all of my books and uh social media handles any kind of information they would want to know about me. And I'm actually super excited to share with you and your listeners today that Curse of the Spectre Queen has already been optioned for television. So I can't oh, wow. share any details That's great. Yet. Yeah. But yeah, if you hear that pitch and you think, man, that sounds like something I really want to watch on the screen, it's coming soon. So stay tuned.
1: So even though you think of creating books and think of them in a cartoon style, this is going to be uh cartoon actors or actor or, 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 you can't say of the,
0: I, be, I believe I can say that it was it'll be live action. Oh, wow.
1: See, that's awesome. And so, but the book wasn't made yeah. for live action, right? The cover and all that. No, that was more, yeah, no, yeah,
0: the book. Yeah. The book was written separately and then it, it sold TV rights pretty soon after we sold the book. So, um, that was definitely, an unexpected dream come true
1: you're me. learning the industry you learned it backwards and forwards from your beginning days in publishing to now how to do this and then figure it out and make it happen so wow yes, absolutely <laughs> that, that you're you're definitely grinding and that's important for sure best uh, again we appreciate you coming by and uh thanks for coming on the neil Haley show take care yeah thank you so much you're welcome you're listening to neil Haley show and we'll Bye. be back in just a moment Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rob Raselli's show. I'm excited to welcome to the program, Rob Ricelli. Rob, what's going on, man?
4: Hey, Neil, how are you? <laughs> lots, of lot going on, actually. Uh, I know, but, I'm, sure uh,
1: that, yeah, I'm sure that you're just, like, every week it's just the same. What's the newest news that you were shocked about this week?
4: Well, interestingly enough, um, in Christianity there's something called the Great Delusion. And basically what that is is that some type of extraterrestrial entity slash antichrist will come on the scene in the world and announce that they are the creators of mankind, that evolution is the nonsense that it is. And we have talked about this in the past. And people can go to my site, boxofsunglasses.com, and go to the evolution debates and the evolution quotes quiz and see, see how bad a science evolution really is. And the assumptions that are made with it. it, it contradicts every every major law of science, law of thermodynamics, Newton's laws of motion, et cetera, et cetera. And I brought that out in the evolution debates, which basically leaves you with one alternative, that there is really a creator, of God, that created this reality, this this physical existence that we call reality, you know, human life the planets, the sun, everything, the universe was in fact created by God. But of course, the evolutionists will, will deny that and, you know, and mock people that think that it's not science and this sort of thing, but it actually is much better science than pure evolution that, that says there's nothing that created us. Now, the reason I bring up that background is because on Tucker Carlson's show two nights in a row, actually, he's talked about UFOs. So UFOs are going mainstream and, and what the military has been hiding from the, from the American people for the past, I don't know, 70, 80 years, going all the way back to Roswell, probably, and maybe even further than that, is that we have what I believe is coming it's the great delusion and this is what's what's known as disclosure. Okay, so in other words, the military and the government is disclosing that aliens, UFOs do it, actually exist. And now it's coming on the mainstream news and 60 Minutes had another segment with it may be pilot that encountered a UFO. I mean, you know, years ago, these people were mocked and laughed at, but now they're being taken very seriously. So that's kind of where we are so wow. Well, so so that's story. surprising.
1: Do you believe in the UFOs? Uh,
4: not in the sense that they're from another planet. I believe they're just like in they're demonic entities, just like is described in the Book of Second Corinthians. You know, Satan just disguises himself as angels of light. So I believe someone's going to come on the scene. Aided by the extraterrestrials or these so-called UFOs, and say that they are the creators of mankind and, be, and demand to be worshipped as God. And this is going to be the great—it's going to be a delusion. Now, this shows up in Second Thessalonians chapter two. I'll read some—I'll read some excerpts from Second Thessalonians chapter two to kind of emphasize this point. That's the second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 now I beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering unto him that you soon be not sh- soon shaken in mind or troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as Jeremiah says that day of Christ is at hand that no man deceive you by any means, that they shall not come except they're coming or falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So we have this falling away, Neil, and I believe it's happening right now. We have this, especially in this country, I mean, all the transgenderism, so-called sexual revolution, everything, and everything goes in our public schools except God himself. <clears throat> yeah, the American Civil Liberties Union okay separation of church and state and all this sort of thing going on so we have the fall on the way so that that's that's a check mark right there then it goes on second thessalonians chapter two who opposes and exalts himself above all that is god or that is worship so that he as god sitteth in the temple of god showing himself that he is god remember ye not that when i was with you i told you these things so basically, he's warning us that that a single man or or woman is going to come and, and present themselves that they're that they're God that they're cre- that they're the creator of humankind, and it could be related to these UFOs that we just were talking about. Remember, ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. And I'm going to skip a couple verses and now, you know, that withhold us, he might be revealed in this time for the mystery of iniquity doth already work only he who now let us will let until he be taken out of the way. So other words, God's restraining these entities as we speak, but he's, he's going to, he's going to give up on restraining these entities and they're going to become mainstream in the world to the world. And I think that's what we're starting to see now with these reports of so-called, of quote, UFOs. And then I'm going to continue on. And then i show that. Keep
1: going, yeah.
4: And then shall that wicked be revealed when the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. With all deceitfulness of unrighteousness in, in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So, these are people, especially the people that that are pushing evolution so hard. And again, you know, we had a lot of them on the, on the evolution debates, which are posted on my website. But you know, basically, what God's saying is, you want the lie, you want evolution? Fine, here it is. He's going to give them what they want. So I'm going to continue. And for this cause, God will shall send them strong delusion that they shall believe the lies that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. We are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God had from beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. So in other words, this is the Apostle Paul, obviously, that wrote Second Thessalonians chapter two. What he's saying is, if you want this, you want this lie so bad of evolution, you want it so bad, you want this, you want this fake God, and he's going he's saying, here, have him. And God's gonna send, he's gonna allow the Antichrist to rise to prominence in the world with all of his miracles or whatever. To deceive people, and I'm just so. In other words, this is almost like a warning to watch out for this man of this man of sin, this son of perdition. And I believe it's directly related to this UFO disclosure that they'll come and present themselves as our space brothers and and creators of humankind. And you're seeing it already in the intelligent design movement. And I think I've discussed this on past shows, intelligent design doesn't necessarily mean that, that the God of the, of the Bible, when Jesus himself created yeah. mankind, it doesn't necessarily believe that it just believes that evolution can't be true, that there must be some other, there must be some other creator. So the intelligent design movement is something to be watched out for that. That's where those this antichrist figure will fit right in. He'll come in and say, I'm the creator. I'm your intelligent designer or whatever. And this is what's, this is the the great deception that's coming on all the earth. I mean, I don't know when, but it certainly seems like events are accelerating to that end. So that's kind of where we are. It's going to be interesting to watch the news stories coming out.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting because you just... um... (laughs) what's happening so ufos never would have thought we talked ufos on this show
4: well it all it all fits in the big in the big picture of, of what we're talking about end times events and, and biblical prophecy you know they're starting to emerge with current events and we're starting to see it around the world as the world falls apart and we head for world war iii and all the
1: wars that are breaking out all over the world um Israel now, after it was not in funny when Trump was president, there was no problems in Israel. Well, yeah, I think the Arab
4: countries knew that, that the United States had Israel's back. And that's the language that these people understand is that, you know, with a strong president that, that does, does what he says and means what he says is going to back up Israel, so they didn't plus a lot of the funding for a lot of these countries Hamas and Iran was cut off but now we have a weak president who surrounds himself with people that hate Israel, his staff and starts funding all these Arab countries against and now there's now they're starting a war with Israel so you got the war in the Middle East and Israel really Israel is the center of biblical prophecy that's perhaps a the subject for a future show but you know, that's just Israel's the only real, true democracy in the Middle East, and it's being attacked and, and hated. And it's going all the way back to Isaac and Ishmael in the Old Testament, that you had this rivalry between these two, these two ethnic groups. So that's another, that's another series of events that's coming to some kind of climax as we speak in terms of biblical prophecy that we can talk
1: about on a future show. but um, Absolutely. So yeah. com. Very interesting information this week, Rob. Uh, pick up all your books there, follow you at Rob Rosselli, and we'll talk uh, next week. Sounds good, Neil. All right, guys, that was the Rob Roselli Show. Take care.